Come set your rule and reign in our hearts again. Increase in us, we pray. Unveil why we're made. Come set our hearts ablaze with hope, like wildfire in our very souls. Holy Spirit, come invade us now. We are your church. We need your power in us. Well, as we said before, Merry Christmas, everybody. It's just, it's so much fun to have our family here and then our family's families here and everybody coming together and just do some special things for him. We're not going to belabor things a long time this morning. I know we all have things to do, but this is one of those things we have to do, isn't it? This is one of the things where we gather together and we celebrate and we celebrate the fact that he did come down to earth to be with us and to give us an example of how we are to live our lives as well. And what I mentioned before with the peace on earth, goodwill toward men, there's only one way to get there, and that's through Jesus. And we're going to talk about it a little bit this morning. There was a, um, a conference that some of us went to a couple of weeks ago, and it was talking about ways of making disciples, of bringing people not only to know God, but to learn how to walk with him and learn how to have him be a part of their lives and to be very grounded in what the scripture actually does say and not just what they've heard that the scripture might say. Because how many of you know that's quite different often? And as I was looking some things up, I, I just wanted... Those of you that know me, I want some details every now and then and some data, so bear with me here for just a moment. But uh, there's a group called the Barna Group who, you know, they will put out statistics and they'll do surveys and they do quite an exhaustive amount of research concerning the American church. And I just got to looking around at what it's like. Now, usually there are Sundays around Easter time, around Christmas time, things are a little bit different. You know, more people come through the church doors. But you guys could go ahead and throw that first graphic up. This is, these these uh, statistics are as of 2016 for them right now. But they found that about 10% of Americans believe that there is no God. And that's not terribly surprising to us, you know, that the numbers are fairly low in our country, but that most people believe that there is actually a God or some form of God out there. And what struck me as interesting is here in America, about 73% of Americans say that they're Christian. And they use that as a very general term. You know, that can mean all kinds of things. Denomination, just put that aside. Um, That they're Christian in some way or another. And yet, and yet, 48% fall into the category of what this Barna group calls a post-Christian, which I find kind of an interesting concept. But they fall into a group that either collectively within the way they live their lives, they either don't believe there is a God, they could be atheist, agnostic, they don't participate in Bible reading, prayer, or church attendance at all. Even though that many people said they're Christian, only this many people actually seem to have some way that it bears out in their lives, the practice of their life. Only 48% show that. 
And they asked people a couple of questions. They said, first of all, do Christians have a responsibility to evangelize others? 35% strongly disagreed with that comment. I found that pretty high, personally. And this is among Christians, the people that considered themselves Christians. And do good works result in going to heaven? 55% strongly or somewhat strongly agreed that that's how you get to heaven, by doing good things. So what's the point of all that? The point is that You've heard us say this a few times, especially recently, what the American church has been trying to do hasn't worked. It isn't working. It's not all about coming through church doors. I'm talking about people who show a practice within their life that they are not just a Christian, but that they have faith and that they are living in such a way. So if, if that hasn't been working, what do we do? Because it's been hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, it feels like, through the world that we've been trying to spread this word, yet it isn't working. Well, it's a little bit of a novel idea, but uh, how about we go back and look at how Jesus did it and how he told us to do it. Instead of putting our cultural spin on it, how about we just do that? You see, we, as a group, as we were planning the Sundays and planning our sermons, we had this um, overview of, you know, a revival of convictions that we were talking about. And this week, we're supposed to be talking about making disciples. And as we were planning that out, you know, I realized, oh, that's going to be Christmas Sunday. Mm, Shouldn't we do something Christmassy? Isn't it? If we're going to pursue peace on earth, goodwill toward men, isn't this how we get there? So we're going to go over a couple of things real quick. Again, we're not going to belabor it. But I found this pretty interesting. In Luke chapter 10, the first 11 verses, I'm going to read through those quickly in uh, New American Standard. I don't think I loaded those for you. I'm sorry, Nathan. You can either listen to me or if he pulls it up quickly. But it says this, Now after this, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them in pairs ahead of him to every city and place where he himself was going to come. And he was saying to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go, behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves, carry no money belt, no bag, no shoes, and greet no one on the way. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it'll return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Just don't keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you and heal those in it who are sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever city you enter and they do not receive you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your city which clings to our feet we will wipe off in protest against you. Yet be sure of this, that the kingdom of God has come near. Now, 
there's a lot of instruction in there. It seems to go various areas. But if we break that down, it's not that, um, it's actually very clear. It's a pretty good detailed set of instructions that Jesus was giving those. Now notice, these are 70 more people. It's not his 12 disciples saying, go do this. They, They may have been given similar instructions. But he's pulling other people in and he's saying, okay, here's how it's done. Here's how I want you to do this. They were appointed of the Lord and sent ahead in pairs to the specific places he chose where he himself was going to come. So when I look at that, I think, okay, if we're going to put some steps around this, step one, how about prayer? Step one, pray. Because otherwise, how are we going to know where he wants us to go? How are we going to know who he wants us to talk to? Who's ready to hear about him? How are we going to know where he has been or is going to come and prepare the way for us? Prayer. And it moves on to talk about that there's a big harvest out there, but there's very few workers. And he doesn't say, so get busy. You got to get out there and bring in that harvest. No. He says, talk to the Lord of the harvest and ask him to bring workers, to bring laborers. So step two, pray. (laughs) We got to decide, okay, Lord, who am I supposed to do this with? Who am I supposed to go talk to? Who's supposed to be working with me on this? You notice they were sent out in pairs. Back then, there was a reason for that, usually safety and to keep each other accountable. The same could be said today in many instances. It warns in that scripture that they're probably not headed to the safest of places. Otherwise, why would it say something about not speaking to people along the way, not bringing any belongings with you, not bringing anything that's of value with you, that you're going to be a sheep among wolves? Seems like maybe there could be some tension there, some things that aren't exactly safe. So step three, be wise and strategic. Where are you going? Where is it that God has told you to do? Who is it that God has told you to go talk to? Is it a household? Is it a neighborhood? Is it a person? Narrow that down. Then how will you get there? What is the process? There's always a process. When you get there, first say, peace be on this house. And if peace is there, that's great. But if not, it will be given back to you and you'll move on. Now that seems kind of blunt. But Jesus was good at that. Maybe that's why I get along with him so well. Step four, timing is everything. Timing is everything because is is it ready? Is it time? If you approach somebody and they're not ready for that interaction with you, don't push it because either it's time or it's not. You may have heard God that that is a person that is supposed to be in your life, that that is someone that you're going to be spending time with. You may have heard God in that, but maybe timing needs to wait a little bit. Are they ready to hear about the importance of who God really is? 
and the changes he can make in their lives. And if not, you just take what you had to give and keep moving. Doesn't mean you have to close the doors there. It doesn't mean there won't be another time. But what it does mean is that you being pushy and continuing anyway won't throw up barriers that can't be breached later. But if you do find what they mention a man of peace, a person of peace in that house, somebody who's really receptive to what you had to say, then it says stay there and eat what they give you, drink what they give you, and don't go from house to house. So step five, live life with them. This isn't a one-time thing. If we're not careful, the American church has looked at bringing people into God's kingdom as say a prayer, check the box, walk away. Everything magically is better. No, that's not how it goes. It says, because if, if God brought this person or family or neighborhood or region, whatever it is, into your life, there's a reason for it. And they're in your life. It's not about getting a prayer and walking away and feeling like you did a good deed for your day or for your week. It's about spending time creating relationship, earning the right to share Jesus with them. That's a big one. And we as Americans, if we're not careful, we expect that because I'm a Christian and because I have God, then somebody's willing to listen to me and they should treat me with the respect that that gives. That's not a given, folks. We earn the right to speak into people's lives. We learn the right to share. We break bread together. We fellowship. And it's not you just going door to door, house to house, door to door, house to house. It's not that that's wrong if God's calling you to a place. But there's a process of life involved. And once you connect with that person, you connect with that family, whatever that is, stick with it. Let him be, bring them in as a part of your life. It also says that if you're received, heal those who are sick and make sure that they know that the kingdom of God has come near. So, so step six, give signs and wonders a chance. Because you guys, it doesn't say find the people who are sick because Jesus is coming later and then you can say, okay, God, here, you know, Jesus here, this is the person you need to touch and heal. It didn't say that. It said, heal those who are sick. Give it a chance. Give the power of God and listening to the Holy Spirit, just like these, these kids showed us today, a chance. It also doesn't say, bring them to the leadership, bring them to the pastor so that they can get healed. It's not wrong for pastor to pray for people, but I can do it too. These weren't the disciples. These weren't Jesus himself. These were more people that he appointed and said, go. Go do these steps. Heal the sick. Work with people. Show them that I am the one who can save their lives. Final step. It says that if you are not received in that area to move on. So step seven, if they don't want it, move on. That is okay. <coughs> Shake off the dust and keep moving. There might be another opportunity. That happens. There might not. Hopefully there would be for someone else. 
but don't force yourself into something people aren't ready for. I can't tell you how many times over the years that I've watched people, and most of the time it's because of their desperation to share what they know is amazing. And they push themselves into people's lives and they shove in there like, you have to figure this out because it's so, the things that are going on in your life, it's not that your life will be perfect anymore, but it's so much easier to deal with if you just will do this, say that, live like this. But they're not ready. And you end up beating somebody up and battering them instead of being able to help in their life. There's a, a Jewish term that we're going to kind of introduce into this a little bit, and I've, I found it as I was thinking about this term. It's called Shema. As I was thinking about this, I could see it woven through the whole service today. And I could see it woven through this entire skit. And what, it, what, it, what the Shema is is a traditional Jewish prayer and it means to both listen and to respond. <laughs> listen and obey. Listen and respond. And its intent is to indicate that you, you can't have one side of it without the other. That if you listen, you must respond. If you respond, you must have listened. That there is not one without the other. And in Deuteronomy... The chapter 6, this is the Shema, and this is a prayer that if you are around people who practice the Jewish faith, you will hear this a lot. And it goes something like this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord you, your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your might. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. All of this was a way. Remember, Deuteronomy, this is Old Testament. All of this was a way for constant reminder of who God is in their lives. A constant reminder to anyone who looked at them who God is in their lives. And it looked different back then. Because today, we get to do the same thing, but we get to do it from a different standpoint. I've seen it going around Facebook actually quite frequently lately, and I love it. But it talks about when we get to heaven, you know, we get a chance to ask Moses and David, what was it like? What was it like to have the Ten Commandments? What was it like to slay a giant? And they get to look at us and say, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit living inside of you? Can, can you imagine what that must be like to them? Because they don't have to write it and strap it to their forehead and put it on their hands and write it everywhere and, and, and say these words over and over and over again to be reminded because that reminder lives inside of us now. You see, we can look at that scripture and see less law and more life because we live after Jesus was born, brought to this earth, died for our sins and was raised from the dead. We live after that time. We live after he ascended into heaven and left the Holy Spirit as our comforter and our friend. 
and we have him to remind us and to guide us. So I kind of had fun with this. I'm going to read that again, but with a Leslie paraphrase for now. So no, this is not a Bible version. This is not theological. But we might be able to look at it a little bit more like this. It says, listen up, my sons and daughters. As you respond to the love I have given you, you will not be able to help but to return that love with all your heart, your mind, your will, and your emotions. You will know that I am the one true God. The words you speak and the life you live connected to me, the one true source, will teach your sons and daughters about me. It will teach them when you are in your house, when you're going to work, when you get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you're doing the dishes, and when you're just relaxing in the evening. My life through you will be evident as if written on your forehead and emblazoned upon the front door of your house. Yes, yes. That's what we get to experience. Ah, Shema. I love that word. So, No longer is it a set of routines and practices that we have to do to qualify. No longer is it a checklist of rules to show that you're approved and that you qualify. No, it's a life lived in Shema from the moment that you rise up until the moment you lay your head. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head. I will sing of the goodness of God. Shema. Your life shows the goodness of God. Your love shows the goodness of God. That sign we have on the door as you come in, we love because he loved us. We love because he showed us how to love. The stories of the greatness of God in your life get passed on to your children. They get to live it with you. They get to hear about it. They get to hear about the goodness that happened in your life. I'm going to put one in here right now. We've been keeping you guys updated about the the healing process that's going on with Pastor Glenn's brother, Joe. He was diagnosed with a very, very aggressive form of cancer a few months back. And the doctors were pretty sure weeks was about all he had. And over the course of time, and with prayer and with... uh, Believing in the healing of God in his body, he has been seeing improvement. And I shared that a couple of weeks ago. I got an update this last week that instead of just having a window through the day of about two or three hours that are semi-okay where he feels somewhat good, he has five out of seven good days a week right now. Guys, that's amazing. That is amazing. Days, not just hours. The stories of the greatness of God get passed to your children. Shema. The laughter and the giggles in your home as you celebrate the Christmas season. Shema. And the thing that causes people to look at you and wonder what's different. That's the Shema life. Because you live your life listening and responding. You live your life with the Holy Spirit being a part of who you are and everything that you do. Shema.
there is a lot to the process of what I just barely touched on this morning that some of you are going to get a chance to be exposed to over the next little bit. Talking about things of how to lead people to discover who God really is. It's not just about discovering whether or not he is actually real, but discovering who he is. And we'll be going over that. But for this morning, I felt like that's what God wanted for us today. He wanted us to have some idea that it's not as difficult as it seems and there is a way that can work. And that's just very much the high points of that, to share him. And that our Shema lifestyle, the things we do in listening and responding, is what speaks to people. So I'm not going to continue it out very much longer, but I do feel like, unless you have something going on, that if there's anyone in this room that you heard what I was saying, but you, have, you don't have experience with it, you're saying, I want to know who God is. I do know that it's more than just praying a prayer, but I do want to take that step, and I want to give my life over to the Lord. There are people that can pray with you. You can come up. If you guys don't mind just putting some sort of altar music in the background just to have something going on. I want to give you that chance. We never want to not give people that chance, especially when his presence is manifest like it is here today. Either someone's Shema lifestyle brought you here, or perhaps you've been wanting to live a little bit more like that. You know who God is. You have a relationship with him. But you want to be more aware of this Shema lifestyle. Come on up. I'm not going to ask anybody to bow their head and close their eyes. And you walking up this aisle is not what gets it done. So if you're not comfortable with that and you want to talk to someone later or just talk to God, that's okay. At some point, Having a conversation with someone for accountability is a good idea. But we always want to give some sort of option for that. So, Father, as we're finishing up here today, and as we walk out those doors and our focus starts turning again to the things that we need to do, the lists that we need to complete, the the family members we want to make sure we don't forget about this week or that sharp feeling in our stomach about family that we either don't have a good relationship with or we don't have family at all. We turn that over to you today. And I, for one, Lord, I give my life to Shema that I will listen and respond and that I will share with people when you're ready to share, be with people when you're ready to just be with them. And I ask for every person in this room, if there's any decisions that need to be made towards you today, that they feel like this is a place that they can do that. There is nothing magical about this building. Yet you are here and you are ready. 
Folks, you know we've made this so difficult and it's so easy. Yes. Just a few weeks ago, and I'm, I'm not going to name names right now. Hopefully these guys will come into the service and name their own names. But there was two grown men sitting in our services, just in the service, in the worship service. The presence of God began to come over them, and both of them told me that it felt like I was on fire inside. Yes. And both of them, in that moment, were three, four, maybe five weeks out now, they were delivered from heavy methamphetamine addiction. And they've had their ups and downs. I've stayed in contact with them, and others have stayed in contact with them. But they're still clean, and they're still serving God. And one of them called me, I think it was either last night or the night before. And one thing about discipling people like this, they'll call you when you don't want to be called. When, when, the, when all the phones are supposed to be shut down. <laughs> but he called me and he said, you know, God, it just keeps doing things. He said, I just left, I just left court in Oklahoma. And they're not going to—I didn't understand for sure because it's breaking up either. They're not going to uh, put the felony on his record or they're taking the felony off of his record, one or the other, clearing him to take a job that had been offered to him. Uh, another one comes and brings part of his family and says, I wanted them to meet you. Think about this, folks. It, is it convenient? No. And it's scary. You get this phone call. Somebody wants to meet. You don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. You just go. And the Holy Spirit will help. And the next thing you know, you've got a God encounter on your hand. It's just that easy. It's just that easy. And I so appreciate it. I haven't asked permission to do this, but I'm going to say this publicly. One of them wanted to talk to me, and Joel volunteered to come with me. I'm so appreciative of that because now I'm out there now it's two by two and it was such a good time of just him sharing some things and me sharing some things but mostly them sharing what God's doing in their life folks God's on a mission right now he always has been but he's shifted it for this house and he's saying if you'll take them I'm going to bring you some of those that nobody else wants and I'm going to through my power put them back together and I, my challenge to you is this. Are you willing? Are you willing to be a part of that? Say, oh, that's scary. Yeah, scary for me too. And I've done it a long time, and it's still scary. But the thing is, it's the power of God that we rely on. He changed me. I didn't change myself. But why wouldn't I think that he would change others and that he would help us? Now, Father, I ask you for a deeper commitment this morning than anybody has ever made before because God this is truly what it looks like to lay down our lives God our calling you our, our calling that comes from you comes from your heart and God you love these people so much God as I've talked to these two men over the past few weeks I've realized that you love them so much God their lives are so messy but you love them so much. And little by little, you're getting it straightened out and you're doing it for them. I'm so thankful, God. I'm so thankful, God. 